You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org. Well, again, friends, good morning, and welcome to worship with us here at Eastside. We are truly grateful that you have taken the time to participate from afar, from your homes or places of work or wherever you may find yourselves this morning as we continue to try to be faithful as a church community as, as we walk this path out of this COVID pandemic here in Atlanta and we continue to pray and to live in such a way that the numbers will drop and we'll be able to regather in person. But it is good to have you with us and we are grateful. And if you're a guest with us this morning, it may be helpful for you to know that here at Eastside, starting in January, we have decided to sync up with for a season the, the revised common lectionary And if you're not familiar with the lectionary, it is a three-year cycle of readings. Every Sunday, there are two readings from the Old Testament and two readings from the New. And churches and pastors across denominations and traditions and geography are encouraged to, from time to time, sync up with and live into this worldwide um, sort of sort of cycle of, of, of scripture readings that are utilized in worship and for preaching. And here at Eastside, we're going to be living into that for, for a bit. And this morning, we, we make a shift from the gospel readings, which have centered on Jesus, to the, what, is, what is called the epistle reading, which is essentially just the Greek word for letter. And the, the fourth readings are, are, are generally letters in the latter part of the New Testament. And this week, and actually in two to three of the following weeks, maybe longer, we're going to be living in the epistle and looking at this this latter section of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, the letter of 1 Corinthians. And as we read, just be aware that we are jumping in in chapter 12. So a lot has happened before we get to our reading. So we'll, we'll try to address a little bit of that as we work through these texts over the next weeks. But be aware that there's a lot going on that has already taken place. And then we pick up here in chapter 12. So friends, I invite you now, wherever you may find yourselves, to embrace a posture whether that is to put your hands out, palms facing up, to just close your eyes. Maybe some of you would like to stand, but to to embrace a posture that allows you to engage with and to hear ancient scripture in in a way that, that speaks to you and allows you to be attentive to it. From 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse one, Paul writes, now concerning spiritual gifts, Siblings, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and you were led astray by idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each individually just as the spirit chooses. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God, thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, as we've come together yet again in this digital way, I ask that these words that I have prepared might be enlivened by you, might become your word for your people in this time, that God, you would speak through them and were necessary in spite of me. And God, as I preach them and as we receive them, I ask that the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of our hearts would indeed be found good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, our rock, God, our redeemer, God, our savior, all of this we pray in the name of the Christ. Amen. Well, it's kind of beautiful that this 1 Corinthians text follows on this Sunday where we have shifted from the gospel reading to the epistle because last Sunday, if you were with us, then you know that it was the baptism of our Lord Sunday. And it's this, this day in the, the life of the, the church where we reflect on and consider and, and, and do some work around the baptism of Jesus and what, what did it mean for, for, for him and for them then and what does it mean for us now. And the way that we've come to embrace this at Eastside is by having a liturgy of, of baptismal remembrance, a liturgy where we have an opportunity to revisit our own baptismal vows, vows that were either received on our behalf by our parents when we were baptized as babies or infants or, or vows that we as adults or as youth accepted on our own behalf. But it's this yearly opportunity for us to come back before God with one another and to essentially recommit our, our lives to the work of God, to the kingdom of God in the world. And in our baptisms, we're initiated, we're, or, we're oriented, we're welcomed in, and then we're, we're sort of integrated into the reality that is a local church. The church in which you are baptized, if you grow up in that church, your baptism is this beautiful starting point, and it has all of these implications. But, but one of the most profound being that, that you are living into this identity as a participant in this community, this local community of Christ followers, this local church for us, it's called Eastside. And with that reality comes 
some unique giftings. Paul speaks to those in our text this morning. He speaks to this reality within the the local church community that was Corinth, but but he's speaking more broadly here of, of, of all the churches that he's encountered. And he's speaking to the reality that each and every member in this church community, they've all been endowed with, they've all been given what Paul calls spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. And as Paul introduces this idea to the Corinthians, he's doing kind of two things at once. One is he's, he's sort of helping them to overcome any residual beliefs they may have around the old idols that they used to buy in the marketplace and take to their homes and, and worship because they believe this idol could give them wisdom and then that idol could give them knowledge and this idol over here could give them, I don't know, good luck or something, right? Paul, as, as he has preached the gospel to these people and they have come into this church community, Paul may have some concerns that there could still be some residual ways of thinking about God through the lens of these, this old practice of, of, of buying these, these carved pieces of wood or stone. So Paul wants to be very clear as he's speaking to a diversity of gifts, of spiritual gifts, But within that diversity, he doesn't want folks to get confused about God because they they formerly sort of had a diversity of idols who all kind of aligned with these different things that, that you may want from the different particular idols that you would purchase and have in your home. But Paul wants to be very clear with these Corinthians that no, 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 it's one spirit, one God, one source but God can manifest in a full and a beautiful array of ways in the lives of different human beings and different churches and different times and different places. It's all one God. It all goes back to the source, to the spirit. So don't be confused with your old practice of having the various graven images and carved, carved statues. Don't get confused with that. One God with all the power and all the capacity dispersing that power and capacity into the human beings who make up the local church. Paul wants them to understand this because Paul believes this is potentially one of the most important teachings that a local church wraps their minds around and then puts into practice in the way that they are together with one another. Now, throughout the letter, as you read it, Paul does this thing where he's comparing the, the human being whose life has been sort of aligned with and um, become one almost with, with the gospel, with the good news, with the resurrected Christ and the power that comes with that life. Paul, Paul has that image and he juxtaposes that image a lot with a really talented just human or really gifted human or like a really powerful, physically strong, et cetera, et cetera, human body, human being, human person. And then over here, he wants to put up the image of like any human, maybe strong, maybe weak, maybe average, 
It doesn't matter because when combined with Christ and the gospel, it, it is so superlative to anything over here because a human being, when in combination with the gospel, is incomparable to a human being on their own and trying to build up their own capacity and ability in the world and in life, and more specifically for our purposes this morning within the church. There was this other person named Apollos who was also, I guess, an apostle, and there was some confusion within that community about who was to be followed. Was it Paul or Apollos? And apparently Apollos was, was a much better order than Paul was. So there was conflict over this. And Paul wanted to make it very clear that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what your human capacity is or is not when it comes to the church, when it comes to our faith. Doesn't matter how many talents you do or don't have, how much of a winner you think you are or a loser you think you are, because all of it gets sort of leveled when it's compared to the resurrected Christ and the kingdom of God and what we can be together as the church, as a collective of human beings, collectively worshiping God and following the Christ. And this is where spiritual gifts for Paul would, would be kind of contrasted with what we might call like talents or natural abilities, you know, things that you practiced really hard, like an instrument, or you got really good at X, Y, or Z because of a ton of experience that you have in that, right? Those are not bad things. I don't think Paul is saying that they are, but they don't come to bear on your, your investment and your presence and your inclusion in the church and, and your full em, embodiment of, of your role as a baptized member within the body. Talent, supposed skills, how wealthy or poor, how smart you think you are, or how accomplished or not accomplished. Paul's not interested in any of that because Paul believes that a human being plus the, the gospel, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. So we're not talking here about, about humans' talents and skills. We're talking about something different something other, something for which any of us within the church, we really can't take any sort of credit for because it's a gift. If it's actually a gift, then it's a gift. And if it's a gift, then it can't be something that we've earned by definition. Paul's very clear about this because it is something that's given to the people of God in community, that there's to be no ranking, there's to be no holding it over one person or another, there should be no sort of like sense of, of hierarchy or tiredness. Every gift is equal. Every role is just as important as another one within the church, within the body. And, and all, of, all of our unique ways of connecting and serving within the body are gifts from the spirit. And they're different than human talents. 
They're different than skills that we've grown. They're not things necessarily that we've conjured up on our own, but there's something else. There's something in this, this dimension that Paul is speaking to, this sort of spiritual dimension, this, this reality that, that seems to be somehow coexisting with our human dimension, but it's different. And exactly how, Paul never really parses that out, but there, there's this sort of spiritual reality that's present with us in the midst of this human reality. And the Holy Spirit is active, even if we can't visually see the Spirit of God with our own eyes, the Spirit is active in our lives and in our minds and our hearts and and working in us and through us. And in that work, we are gifted. And in verse four, five and six, Paul writes that there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now, sometimes I think it's helpful to like flip a sentence or a paragraph on its head and see how it reads in the other direction. And, I, and I don't, we don't need to do that here, but I do think it would be interesting to, to, to lead with, for the sake of the common good, right? There are a variety of gifts, one spirit, variety of services, one Lord. For the sake of the common good, for the building up of the common good. The common good, of course, referring here to the local church body. I was trying to think about the the best way to help us wrap our imaginations around what Paul is trying to accomplish here in this text. And, And an image kind of came to mind as I'm picturing Paul in the ancient world. Paul goes from community to community and he would show up and He'd preach the message of the the resurrected Jesus, of the empty tomb, of God's kingdom coming, of salvation for humankind. And Paul had no idea what people out in whatever crowd he was preaching in and whatever public place, whether he was in a synagogue or just out in the open air, he had no idea who was going to respond. Like which of the people from the group of 30 who were listening to him, who, who, who was going to hear that message and respond to it and then eventually be baptized and be a part of the church that he would form and found in that community. He didn't know. And because he didn't know, he had no control over who this whatever city he was in, who the, the, the group was going to be and what they were going to look like. This wasn't like taking resumes and interviewing for, you know, would you like to participate in helping us move the Jesus movement forward, hand in your resumes. It wasn't that sort of thing at all. It was an open call. And anybody who responded to the open call could come, could receive, could be baptized, and could be a part of this new community that that Paul would found in this church, in this city. Which 
which means that sometimes I'm sure Paul would look out at the group that God had gathered and Paul would see, and I don't know that they had puzzles, probably didn't in the ancient world, but for our purposes, Paul would see a bunch of like misfit leftover puzzle pieces, none of which really would fit together properly. I can't help but imagine that that's precisely what Paul would have seen much of the time when he was trying to get these new communities off the ground. He would see these groups of people that, from economic, for economic reasons, for racial reasons, for political reasons, for all, all the reasons, were like as diverse and inco- supposedly incompatible humans that you could find. But then Paul would over and over again watch this crazy thing happen where these puzzle pieces that really don't look like they should go together would be transformed by the Spirit of God meeting them and transforming and moving and gifting in them enough and in ways that would allow them to come together and make this cohesive body that would become a congregation, that would become a church. You see, I don't, I don't think Paul's just talking about certain people having a special gift of wisdom and other people having a special gift of prophecy. He, he certainly has some of that in mind, but I think he's also speaking to a much bigger idea here in this passage, and it's that God takes humans who have responded to the gospel message and who have come together to be a part of this movement and God will meet you where you're at and give you the gifting and the grace that you need to to participate in the way that God wants you to, that that community needs you to for a season. And that's a beautiful thing. And Paul would go from city to city and see this thing happen over and over again where these misfit puzzle pieces would somehow come together, they would move and be transformed and ebb and flow so that together they could be in this community and do this work of being the church. And I think that's the vision that Paul's pointing toward, that all we have to do is be faithful, come into the fold, and listen and pay attention and see where God is drawing us and guiding us. See what, if, and how folks around us are noticing in us a particular direction or gifting. And the wild thing about people in churches is that oftentimes folks will, will be led to do something in a church environment that they've never done out in the secular non-church world. Never taught in any sort of classroom environment, but they're a Sunday school teacher in church. They've never led any kind of like small group or recovery group or anything in that way, but they're leading a core group in their home, in their living room with 10 folks. They've never gotten in front of a group of people and led them through something like our liturgists do with our prayers. They've been practicing that instrument for so long, they put it away and forgot about it until they realized that there was a spot in the worship experience that needed 
some additional instrumentation and that old dusty skill, maybe in that context, becomes a new grace-filled one for this community. It can take all these different forms and it all depends on the season and the people who have gathered and the needs that there are and the other puzzle pieces at play, but I believe that God is just constantly working in a dynamic way within all of these faith communities trying to bring folks in who are seeking this participation and to mold us and to shape us and to transform us all so that we can work together. And for a season, you might be a passionate greeter, usher. You might be a passionate volunteer with our youth ministry. You may be in the parking ministry. You may be somebody who really wants to try to make coffee in mass. That sounds fun to you for, for a season. Maybe you really want to, to cut your teeth on being deeply and intricately involved with, with justice ministry here in our city and you get plugged in in that way. None of it has to be forever because it's, it's really dependent on who you are in that season and who that community is and how the pieces fit together and how the dynamic and living Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you. We're baptized we're welcomed, we're initiated, we're brought into the body. We are affirmed in the body that we are indeed children of God. And as such, we're always, always given gifts, always given capacities for seasons and callings for times and places. And that never goes away. There's always a way for each and every one of us to participate in the work of the church to participate in the, the puzzle, to let God move us from being a, 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 round, a round peg in a square hole to being a square for a season if that's what we need to be. But God is actively at work actively engaging all of the humans in this vicinity. And, and Paul's just putting language to it and words to it and trying to talk about what he sees happening. And it's happening here in and with this community. And as we enter into whatever this new season is, I pray that, that as we've entered this new year, as we've reaffirmed our baptisms, as we've looked inward, that we'll also be asking like, which, where, where am I at in this puzzle? And where's God calling me to be in this next season? Like, where do I feel drawn? Maybe, maybe a passion for something over here is, is kind of phasing out and there's a new thing that you're, you're feeling God bubbling up inside of you toward. Pay attention to that stuff. Talk to us about it. Talk to your core group. and allow the community to, to mesh and to mold and to become what it needs to be in this new time, in this new season, as we do that as individuals for one another, for the body, so that in all of it, we can be a gift, right, to our community, so that we can be God's gift to this world, because at the end of the day, that's what we're aiming to do. There's like the, the big C common good, there's the, the little C common good, and 
every local church should have the big C common good of the planet of all humanity as like our ultimate goal because we believe that's God's ultimate goal. So may it be so, friends. May we all participate in the name of God, the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer, amen and amen. Hello, Eastside. My name is Andrew Sabonis Chafee, and it is great to be worshiping virtually with you all this morning. Um, I am going to be leading us in the prayers of the people. So um, there'll be a few times in the prayer where I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and you are free to respond. Hear our prayer. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, as we continue into the new year, give us humility and vision to reflect on all that we have done and left undone. If last year felt disconnected from community due to online worship or COVID precautions, may this year bring the joy of reconnecting. If last year felt disconnected from community due to introversion or fear, may this year bring the courage to reach out. If last year was full of despair, may we find the energy to keep searching for hope. If last year was full of personal growth and achievement, may we give ourselves permission to celebrate, to honor our hard work. If last year was full of shame, may our eyes be opened to the miracle that we are. May we be gentle with our bodies and spirits. If last year we did a lot of speaking, may this year we listen. If last year we did a lot of listening, may this year we be called to action. If last year was full of loss, may we mourn well. If last year was free of loss, may we sit in solidarity with those who did. If last year was full of chaos and it feels like it slipped through our fingers, may this year we breathe, savor. May our attention be captured by every meal with friends, walk outside, morning bird song. May we attune our hearts to God's presence, not in a disembodied future, but in the everyday, the mundane, right now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I offer up some words from Howard Thurman. Grant that we may pass through the coming year with faithful hearts. There will be much to test us and make weak our strength before the year ends. In our confusion, we shall often say the word that is not true and do the thing of which we are ashamed. There will be errors in the mind and great inaccuracies of judgment. In seeking the light, we shall again and again find ourselves walking in the darkness. We shall mistake our light for your light and we shall drink from the responsibility of the choice we make. Nevertheless, grant that we may pass through the coming year with faithful hearts. May we never give the approval of our heart to error, to falseness, to vanity, to sin. Though our days be marked with failures, stumblings, fallings, let our spirits be free so that you may take them and redeem our moments in all the ways our needs reveal. Give us the quiet assurance of your love and presence. Grant that we may pass through the coming year with faithful hearts. Lord, in your mercy, 
hear our prayer. Finally, as we celebrate the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. tomorrow, I'll close with a poem by Gwendolyn Brooks. A man went forth with gifts. He was a prose poem. He was a tragic grace. He was a warm music. He tried to heal the vivid volcanoes. His ashes are reading the world. His dream still wishes to anoint the barricades of faith and of control. His word still burns the center of the sun above the thousands and the hundred thousands. The word was justice. It was spoken. So it shall be spoken. So it shall be done. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I invite you now into a time of silent confession and reflection. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Hallelujah and amen. Well, friends, puzzle pieces, folks who maybe feel like misfits, know that in your church you have found home and that God is always gifting all of us, always working in all of us to fit together, to be a body for the common good. And I pray that as you go forth, you will keep that at top of mind and top of heart, especially tomorrow. Do something out of the ordinary. Some will have an opportunity with their schools to prepare meals, to serve those who are serving for MLK. There'll be others who will be doing housing builds and, and being actively involved, but do, do something. Find a way to be a piece of, of the puzzle of humanity on, on such a special day where somebody so profound has continued to change and transform our, our, our society and our vision for what, what God is and what God can and God will do in our world and bringing racial divisions to an end and bringing humanity together as one family. So, so do something to mark Dr. King tomorrow. And as you do, friends, may you go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our maker, and the life-giving fellowship of God's Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to connecting with you soon. If you'd like to experience our full church services, you can find them at youtube.com slash eastsidechurchatl. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Eastside, you can find our giving portal at our website, eastsideatl.org. Be well.